Hello, good humans, and welcome back to another episode of Hello, Good Humans, the podcast. There is a lot happening in the background today. Ben is watching a very loud action movie, and my cat is underneath my bed eating post-it notes, of course. So you may hear some booming, some, I don't know what kinds of sounds action movies make, and you might hear some chewing. (laughs) I have the most wonderful episode for you today. Hannah Dickman is a dear friend, a new friend within the past year or so, and she is truly a kindred spirit. We can't have a single conversation without realizing all of the things that we have in common. We laugh, we talk about deep stuff. We also realize that our boyfriends, well, my boyfriend, her husband are very similar, so we have lots of laughs about that as well. I cannot wait for you to hear her story today. She is brilliant. She is so kind and she is just so well-spoken. Welcome to another episode of Hello Good Humans. (laughs) Hi Hannah. Hi Zoe. How are you? (laughs) I'm so good. So we've been talking already for you know 30 minutes Yeah. about all of the (laughs) things that will not make the internet. So we were just talking two days ago about how we met. Yes. And it's kind of a interesting collection of ways. It is. Um, We met through Viterbo University. Yep. Shout out V-Hawks. Yep. Go V-Hawks. We met through friends and then we also met through our partner's friends. Yeah. No, my partner's friends with your coworker. Yes. Yes. Okay, so all of a sudden, we just kind of were friends. Yeah, that's great. And it's been great. (laughs) Um, So you work at Viterbo. Yes, I do. And what do you do there? Um, I work in residence life, so I'm an area coordinator slash hall director, so I do some more administrative things, but I also do some more um, relational things, which I love. I get to supervise RAs, which is probably the highlight of my job, so... It's plus. Were you an RA in college? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah, it was great. It was it was the highlight of. I loved college. I was a like thrived in college human, but um, I think RA was probably the highlight of all of that for me. So, I have a lot of regrets from my own college years because, full transparency, I was the college mm-hmm. student that like, anytime it was a university organized thing, I was like, oh, I could not be bothered to go. Totally I didn't valid. I didn't go to a single floor program. Yep. I basically talked to my RA once the entire year. Yeah. I, w- I was not interested. Then I think during COVID they started offering things to create community. Yeah. And I have this very distinct moment in my junior year where I was like, "Why did I waste my first two years not uh-huh. participating in this built-in free community (laughs) i mean free with college Uh, tuition but right yeah community you are paying for yeah that's true that's true my mom was a hall director in college or at a college and i know that she always wanted me to be an ra Mm, interesting looking back i think i would have been great you would have been a fan seriously the best ra but the best ra but you know what our life takes us on a journey and that's i think kind of the point to me about college is that right i think part of the 
one of the best things I've heard, I'm in a master's program for student affairs, which is what residence life falls under. And one of the best things one of my professors has said is we want to create community that our students can be a part of, but if they are finding community in other spaces, we do not need to be the community for them. Oh. So, right, I don't, my programs, if they are not something you want to go to, that's okay. Like, and Mm -hmm. if you end up wanting to go to them later, that's great. They will always be available to you. Yeah. But it's not something where, I don't know, it's not helpful to force people to go to things that they don't want to go to, in Mm -hmm. my experience. So, yeah. So, with your master's, are you hoping to get a different job? Good question. Honestly, I don't see myself doing anything in higher ed at, at this point in my life, which... Life changes. If I learned anything from COVID, it's that you really never know um, what life is going to bring. But I can't really see myself doing anything in higher ed other than doing residence life okay, or teaching. Okay. So if I was going to work as something else in higher ed, I think I would like want to get a PhD and teach. And would you do... I would do... Okay, my undergrad is in philosophy. Okay. So I would want to get a PhD in philosophy. Total side note. Yes. Yesterday at Goodwill, I found a book called Harry Potter and Philosophy. Oh, amazing. So I'm going to read it. <gasps> okay. <laughs> get it. And then let's talk about it. Okay. Sounds good. I'll read good. it when you're done. Well, you I'm have to, you have to read Harry Potter first. Okay. That's a good point. So you okay, might want to get started on that now. Yeah, okay. Good. Good idea. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So your undergrad's in philosophy. <laughs> yes. And you'd want to teach that. Yeah. I, I Honestly, that was kind of the original goal when I graduated was I wanted to do philosophy and um, wanted to teach that. But my husband, Joe, is in medical school, and that is a super competitive program. And he's wanted to do that since he was in eighth grade. Um, I kind of found philosophy tangentially through political science when mm-hmm. I was an undergrad, so I went in as a political science, philosophy, economics major. A triple major? No, it was a joint program. <laughs> I'm not that impressive or intelligent. Well, you are. But Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> but it was like part of this, and I really just was interested in the political science part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, oh, these other two things could be helpful. And then I remember I had written this essay that was like, the thing I want to do in college is learn how to think. And then I took my first philosophy class. My freshman first semester, I wound up in the hardest philosophy class you took in the PPE major. And all of my classmates were upperclassmen, and they were like, what are you doing in this class? You're going to die. This is the worst class. You're going to hate it. Um, like, get out now. And I talked to the professor the first day after class, and he was like, well, let's see how you do the first week, and if you need to drop it, you can drop it. And I got to the end of the week, and he pulled me aside, and he was like, Hannah, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And um, I, I fell in love with philosophy in that class. I mean, it was as if everything in my life up to that moment, I had been looking for this field, hmm. and 
I'd finally found it. And everything made sense. And honestly, the rest was history. I, I really started wanting to become a philosophy professor, or I wanted that to be my career path right at that moment. Mm. Um, but it, I mean, it took a little bit of shifting and figuring out like, okay, but I had these other plans of things that I thought I maybe wanted to do. Um, and you, most of us don't have any philosophy interaction prior to college oh, yeah. in the United States. That's not a mm-hmm. part of our K-12. It is in other places in the world um, and in some private schools, but yeah, so I just hadn't hadn't run into it in the way that I had in that class prior to then, so that's how it happened. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> when I graduated, um, I knew it would be a while because philosophy PhD programs are super competitive. It's like a 1% acceptance rate. So you have to be willing to go wherever. And I wasn't because Joe had already been accepted into medical school. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, you'll do your thing first. You're going to make more money when you graduate than I'm going to make when I graduate. So I'll let you do your thing first. This is fair. (laughs) And then I'll do my thing. And then in the meantime, I was just going to do, like, random work. I worked as, like, an admin assistant for a while. Joe was like, uh, you talk a lot. I, I would talk a lot about, oh, in a different life, I would also want to be a hall director. In a different life, I would also want to be a hall director. And he was like, why not in this life? Yeah. Because you have plenty of time to do all of the things you want to do. And so that's how I ended up. Doing doing that. Doing what I'm doing now, which is has been a huge gift, and definitely still feel that side of me that wants to do the academic too. Um, Partially because I have, I feel like I have a responsibility. Women tend to go into student affairs. Mm -hmm. Um, Philosophy is in the same category as like the worst of the STEM fields, as far as women oh, in okay. philosophy. Um, so a part of me feels like I have a responsibility to it, but also just something that I love. So so was your major in college, was it you and a bunch of guys? Yes. Okay. I had one amazing human who I adore, still one of my best friends, um, who she was another philosophy major, but we were the only two women Okay. Um, that I had consistent classes with. And most of my classes would be Three guys, three girls, 18 guys. That was about wow. the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that shaped the way that you learned philosophy? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And we had a professor at the time, two professors whom I love, super dear humans, still at Taylor, great humans, love them. Um, and then we had one who's no longer there who, yeah, would say things like, I know this is going to make the women in the room feel uncomfortable, but... Oh, maybe he shouldn't say right. it then. And right when you're <laughs> one of two women <laughs> in the class, that's pretty... Oh right. my gosh. Like, okay. Um, yeah, don't say that. How would you describe philosophy to somebody that doesn't really understand what it is? Yeah, great question. Because I didn't before college. Right. I think I took my philosophy credit in my first semester. Nice. And I was just really confused. Yeah. And it's confusing. And I think most people think it's just ideas. And so a lot of us aren't ideas people. And so philosophy doesn't appeal. Um, I think, so philosophy is two Greek words together. Philo is 
love, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. And Sophie, or Sophia, is wisdom. So philosophy is the love of wisdom. Um, but really, I if I'm trying to explain what it is, I just say it's like the field of asking big questions. So what is beauty, like what is beauty, what is good, and mm. what is true are some of the big three questions that philosophy tries to answer. But there are lots of other questions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and really... I, I think philosophy is underneath everything that we do. Um, whether or not you choose to think about the ways that philosophies influence your life, they really they really do. These mm-hmm. people who are writing these books have shaped culture, they've shaped music, they've shaped theater, they've shaped art, they've shaped politics, they've shaped, I mean, religion, they've shaped all of these things in major ways. And um, we either choose to be maybe knowledgeable about some of those things or we choose not to be. Um, But philosophy exists either way. Mm -hmm. And it's influencing things either way. Yeah. I I remember from my freshman class, we did a lot of, like, case studies. Yes. With different philosophers. So good. Again, I was 18. Yeah. Just pretty overwhelmed with college in general. I don't really remember a lot. But my professor was a woman who Love. doesn't teach at Viterbo anymore. I think she was just an adjunct. Cool. Well, not just, but I think yeah. she was there for one semester. Yeah. And, I mean, I thought she was super awesome. Uh-huh. She was kind of quiet, kind of reserved, but when she started talking about yeah. different philosophers, I mean, she would just, like, light up. And <laughs> you can just tell when people absolutely uh-huh. love what they study. Yeah. So do people in the philosophy field, do they do other jobs besides teaching? So... In general, the biggest thing that you can do with a philosophy PhD is teach. Okay. So it is a kind of a closed field. Um, there are some things that they do. Other like so you could be a bioethicist, a bioethicist, and so for example, the medical school Joe goes to employs a philosophy PhD to teach medical students ethics oh, okay. as a part of their curriculum so still teaching but um Gunderson actually has a PhD philosopher who get they consult on ethics issues so if they have a situation where they're kind of right I mean medicine has a lot of pre-planned ethical decision making choices for you but if it's something that they don't the flow chart isn't making sense essentially Mm -hmm. um they will consult the PhD philosopher to come and basically make that decision. I feel like that'd be a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> so yeah, and, and then some, like, there's logic in philosophy too, so some go into computer science or coding um, okay. and end up doing stuff in, like, that world. So there are other things you can do. Um, teaching is what most people end up doing. Well, and I feel like even in the last, like, 20 minutes, I'm like, I would take you as a philosophy professor any day. Oh, sorry. I love <laughs> it. It's very interesting. Yeah, thanks. I, I think it's interesting. And, and I'm I'm sitting here, like, thinking from a theological background, they yeah. go hand in hand. So true. Like, well, yeah. beauty, truth, and love. Yes. It's like, yep. oh, like, yep. God created those. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I think that's part of why I love philosophy is because it. It's kind of a way to talk meaningfully to people who maybe 
aren't religious or spiritual about these shared things that Mm -hmm. are really valuable to humans. Like we all, I think, are concerned, even if we disagree about, right, what is truth or um, can we know what truth is or is truth subjective, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even if we disagree about those things, we're all seeking the answer to the question of, okay, well, what is truth? Um, so I think it, it gives, it's a bridge in a lot of ways, but you're totally right. Medieval philosophy is basically all Augustine and Aquinas, which is like <laughs> yeah. theology 101. Have so. you, okay, I'm probably going to butcher the name. No. Have so you heard of Epictetus? Uh, maybe. So he, he wrote this series of essays that have now been put into a book called The Art of Living. Oh, that sounds amazing. And that I'm, sounds amazing. I'm like halfway through right now. It's just this little book. Okay. And it's all of these things that are just like how to live a better life. Mm-hmm. And um, each each page is titled something like, um, like see the good in everyone or mm-hmm. like I love that. see situations for what they actually are. And yeah. And it's been interesting because he writes about like the being or like the higher power or like the yeah. energy. But as a Christian, I'm like, oh, so he's talking about God. Yeah. Right. And right. it's just interesting because yeah. he'll say like um oh, one of one of the things that that I really had a hard time like wrapping my head around. Yeah. was living the way that the universe created us to live or like living Ooh, in harmony with interesting. nature. And I was like, I don't know what that like, yeah. I don't know what that means. Like, am I supposed to go lay in a stream and just be like, well, if this stream is flowing, so shall I. <laughs> Actually, I think that's a great lesson. <laughs> but right. But yeah. then I was like, no, I don't literally right. have to go lay in a stream. But no, like, no, you the stream keeps flowing and mm-hmm. my life is going to keep flowing. I mean, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Have you, do you feel like there's been something in there that you've been able to connect to your, to your life or the things that you're doing? Because I think the thing with philosophy that, people do struggle with is okay so you're talking about these big ideas how do I connect them to my everyday so yes you're not supposed to interview me though no I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) so you have so many good thoughts though (laughs) so something that I have been struggling with for years is this notion of I can't have my cake and eat it too yeah. in terms of I want to be a mentally and physically happy person mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. want to eat like crap yeah yeah and then I get really frustrated with my body or how I'm feeling or yeah. my health and then I'm like well when's yeah. the last time that I exercised or when's the last time that I ate like full servings of fruits and vegetables right um And it's been a constant conversation like in my journaling and with my therapist where I'm like, I feel like I have no discipline. I feel like I make these really big grand goals and then I fail like two days later and then I just revert back to napping and, and, you know, sitting on my butt. And anyway, in the foreword of the book, which again, wasn't actually written by Epictetus. Epictetus. That's... Honestly, that sounds like great pronunciation. I don't know how to pronounce. I took lots of classes on them, and I still. He might not even be a philosopher. Like I don't know. I just sounds 
Yeah, he's doing good work. Yeah, right. He's a good human. We're all philosophers. (laughs) I mean, the truth is, we're all philosophers. We all have big big ideas, big questions. Actually, I have the book right here. I'm I'm going to read it it. because I don't want to butcher it. The Art of Living, the classical manual on virtue, happiness, and effectiveness. This man's a philosopher. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. So in the foreword, or the prologue, he says... Moral progress is not the natural province of the highborn, nor is it achieved by accident or luck, but by working on yourself daily. Mm-hmm. And I needed that. Yeah. Because living a virtuous life yep. takes work. Yes. In the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Which I think, so there's a book, the book I'm reading right now. Oh, gosh. It's called The Liturgy so. of the Ordinary. Okay. That's what it's called. The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And it's about essentially how the everyday tasks that we do form liturgical moments in which we, right, like for example, making your bed can be, like just something as simple as that can be an act that you do every day or maybe not every day, that we try to do every day. And it's in those little mundane things that we do that we are we develop virtues mm-hmm. or we develop ourselves as humans. And we connect to sort of this greater experience that is the human life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really easy for those things to feel really meaningless. But I also think maybe kind of paradoxically, it's in the things like making our bed, brushing our teeth, mm-hmm. like getting into like even conflict with the people that we live alongside mm-hmm. is all all of those little mundane things that we all just sort of experience as part of um, our existence connect us to each other because they're things one we of do. my fellow theology majors. Shout yes. out Callie, who I know <laughs> listens to this. Her senior thesis was about this idea of turning to God in every single Hmm. moment. Hmm. And I remember one of the examples that she gave was doing the dishes instead of just being like, oh, I have to do the dishes, being like, thank you, God, for these dishes, which could could then turn into like, thank you for the food that I ate, which is the reason I have these dishes. And to take it even further, like, thank you for the farmers that farmed this and and just turning everything into like a sacred moment. Mm, And then there are so many studies that say that gratitude is one of the healthiest things for us. It's everything. Okay, shifting gears a little. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about your childhood a little bit. Okay, let's talk about it. So you grew up in Richland Center. I did. Yep, I moved there when I was eight years old. So prior to that, I had lived in a little teeny tiny town in Wisconsin, but was technically born in Minnesota. So, you know, don't hold it against me. Mm-hmm. Well, I was born in Tennessee, so. Okay, great. Good. Uh, you understand. I'm a Southern Sometimes girl. Sometimes I say that and people are like, oh, oh, the land of the Vikings. I'm, I am a Packers fan, so that redeems me, I think. Um, yeah, so I was born in Minnesota, was only there for like 18 months, and then moved to Wisconsin and You've been a Wisconsinite ever since. Yeah. Love it. And you were homeschooled. I was. What do you think about you was formed by homeschooling? Yeah. Good question. (laughs) I think I never thought about school like a place to go. It was kind of 
just something that I did. And my mom was really big on making sure that we never hated learning. Mm. So if there was at any, right, if there was a point in time, because there were points in time that I, I have, like, the classic experience of having moments where I would, like, cry doing math, like, just hated well, like, of course. third grade math. <laughs> and Fractions. Oh, <laughs> I still have beef with fractions, uh-huh. to be honest. Um, yeah, but would just give me space to be like, it's okay, we can come back to the, right, like, had this freedom to come back to things or not necessarily have to finish it in that moment. Um, so I think I have a huge love for learning and she really fostered curiosity. Um, so I think that was super formative. And then I also think I just got to have a bunch of really unique experiences. Like the district attorney of our town, um, is this amazing woman who went to our church. And so I got to like hang out in her office once a week and she would just give me projects when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> nice. So, and I got to, like, watch these trials, and it was super interesting. Yeah. So, got to have some really unique experiences. You got to learn, like, from the real world. Yeah. Would you say that you were the kind of homeschool kid that, um, mm-hmm. like, did you did you go through a really big rebellious phase ever? I'm the oldest, so no. <laughs> And actually and actually knowing you, I'm like, I know that you didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I, um, I definitely have something that I'm grateful for my parents for because I think homeschooling can be great homeschooling can be really really horrible I mean they're definitely right educated um all of those stories that have come out of parents who didn't teach their children Mm -hmm. things and basically abused them yes um and also in some cases just kind of used it as a way to teach their children exactly what they think without any Mm -hmm. other influence um and I'm really grateful that my parents made space for me to ask questions and I have different opinions on things than my parents as an adult and they're really gracious and respectful of that so I am also just grateful that they even just made the space for we're not trying to teach you exactly what we think we just want to Mm -hmm. teach you to be someone who thinks critically about things in the world that you live in so what would you say to somebody that maybe doesn't have as gracious of parents or any family members when it comes to differing opinions yeah that's a (laughs) that's a great question um I think it's really hard when you have people that aren't willing to say we're gonna agree to disagree um I think boundaries, honestly, has to be the thing that you end up drawing with people. Um, There are things that, right, if you decide we can't have a productive conversation about this topic, sometimes you just need to not talk about that thing, Mm -hmm. Um, which is hard, and I understand, right, in some ways that maybe feels like you're closing off a piece of yourself to somebody, but I think what I've found is sometimes you open up a different a different side of yourself when you do that because you can grow in depth of love for each other or mm-hmm. grace for each other in a way that you maybe wouldn't have if you didn't have that conversation didn't have that hard conversation mm-hmm. yeah. and it can be really hard because those mm-hmm. topics are often ones that we feel very passionately about yep 
I will like stand on a mountain and yeah. want everyone to know my views. Yep. But so- <laughs> when people don't feel the same way, yeah. I also can't have a productive conversation about yeah. you know, something like gay marriage or exactly you know, transgender rights. Like yeah. as soon as I get pissed off, then yeah. I'm not gonna be productive either. Right. And I think something that I have also found is just because in general I'm not going to have a debate with someone that I love about those things, right? Um, I also, if I hear something that is offensive or wrong or unloving, I'm also still going to say, hey, not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that, and, and that's the end of the conversation for me, right? Like, I'm not going to engage, I'm not going to, right? I can explain to you why if you would like to know why that's not okay. And, but if you're not going to engage productively, if we can't engage productively about it, um, then I'm just going to get angry and then end up saying things that I also probably don't mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, then, right, I I think I found that still giving myself permission to say, uh-uh, like, if you're going to say that, I can't be in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, right, whether they respect that boundary is up to them. Yep. Just like Glennon Doyle says. Yeah. Oh, I love Glennon Doyle. Yes. Glennon Doyle, if you're listening, which you're not, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing that I heard yeah. sometime in the past year or so was, and, and I don't know why this was like news to me, yeah. but it basically was saying that even if somebody has like polar opposite views from you, yeah. like they get those views from somewhere. Yes. They, they're, they're maybe tied deeply with their family. Yeah. They are deeply rooted in their community. Mm-hmm. They... Mm-hmm. They have a personal tie to whatever the issue is. And just as passionately as I may feel about, like, this this version of the issue, they're going to feel just as passionately on the other side. And I wouldn't like it if someone tried to, like, discredit the, the, like, why I feel the way I do. Yeah. And I don't know why hearing that was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, I mean, I think discourse is so important. Trying to have civil discourse is so important and having empathy for each other. And I love, there's the whole Brene Brown's idea of assuming the best about others Mm -hmm. is super helpful for me, I think. Just to think, right, okay, there is a reason that they think that. There is a reason that they're responding that way. Mm -hmm. They're trying their best. Um, And right? This is what their best looks like in this moment. And I don't know if it's true. It's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know if that's true, that we're all actually trying our best, but I'm just going to hope that that's the case. And I think it gives me more compassion for where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can't control what they do. We can only control how we respond to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So true. We're, we're being like real philosophers right now. (laughs) We are. (laughs) I love it's so good. So on another topic. Yes. You married your high school sweetheart. I did. He was so good. <laughs> he is a wonderful, too smart for his own good. Yep. Little feisty, unfiltered man. Yes. We love him. I Yeah, I do. And he calls me your majesty, which is just... <laughs> 
so much. <laughs> you know, so the first time Joey, Joey, <laughs> Joe <laughs> met Zoe, the first time Joe met Zoe, and we had, like, spent time with each other before that, like, fair amount. I'd been around you multiple times. Yeah. He knew who you were. Like, he heard your name very often up in, to this moment. <laughs> but it was technically when you were doing an event as oh, Miss Cross, right? That's you right. You were wearing your crown. That is right. And I saw as he, like, enters the room, the, just the <laughs> light bulb goes off. He's like, I'm going to call her Her Majesty. Oh, my God. And that's it for the rest of time. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's that now. And a lot of people do it ironically. Yep. I don't think he's kidding when no. he does it. Like, no. he is. No, he's just. He's kind of a, he's a, he's a ham. <laughs> just, his yeah. Boss, his boss, he also worked as a pharmacy technician. Oh, okay. So him and Ben share that. Um, but when his boss, all of his coworkers were like, Joe, you're such a brown noser. You're such a brown noser all the time. Cause he would just be such a ham. He would just be like, is there anything I can get for you today? Miss Casa, <laughs> is there anything I can get for you today? Aww. It was so funny and so cute. But but he probably means it. Like, oh, he yeah. He genuinely is. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So you got married at yep. 21. Yep. He was 22. Was and 21. tell me about your wedding. Yeah, it was during, it was June 2020. So okay. COVID. Um, it was great. It was one of those things where I was not a person who I had spent a lot of time, you know, like most young women socialized in the society that we live in do. I had spent time daydreaming about my wedding, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't have a ton of things that I was like, oh, I need that or I need that. And honestly, I was finishing up my senior year of college. And so I was thinking a lot about the things I was doing presently at the time. So I wasn't, mm, my wedding was not my most passionate topic at all. Mm. Like I would have rather talked about other things probably. Yeah. Um, So I, yeah, I didn't have a bunch of things that I really wanted. And I kept saying, oh, like, I don't care if like the cake falls over, my flowers are all wilted or like my dress rips or like none. I don't care about any of these things. And we had gotten engaged in January of 2019. So we'd been, we had like an 18 month engagement. And then March happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember praying and I was like, okay, God, I said like, all of these things could go wrong. Not my whole (laughs) wedding could get canceled. And you chose a pandemic? That was not, (laughs) that was not on the list of things that you were allowed to make go wrong. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so that was kind of that. But it was really interesting because in that, I realized a couple of things. One, that I really want, I saw my wedding as both like a spiritual unification of, of Joe and I, a like commitment, a spiritual commitment to love each other and to love those around us. Because I think marriage to me reflects the like Trinitarian love of like the the Father, Son, and the Spirit, right? So, like, there's love between the two of you that pours ideally into your community, right? It's, like, true love 
doesn't just see each other. It it includes everyone in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so community felt like it was also a really important part to me. Like wanting to celebrate with the community felt really important. So for three months, we thought it was just going to be like me and him. And we didn't even think our whole immediate families could be there because mm-hmm. we both have bigger immediate families. And technically that would have put us over the like legal limit to even have both of our immediate families together. Right. Um, and then there was like that moment at like mid the end of May, mid May that things were like, people thought it was going to get better because of summer. I mean, we, we had a huge guest list that we cut way, 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 way down and ended up having moving everything outside and we ended up still having a wedding. And we originally were going to do none of it outside because um, I was way too nervous about rain. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so a lot of a lot of the people we loved the most um, ended up being able to come. Some that some were not there that we really wanted to be because they were older. I wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we hadn't met yet, but pretty... Okay, that's the worst part about getting married young, is that there's so many people <laughs> I love so much that I'm like, how are you not at my wedding? That's so sad. You can have, like, a, a renewal, a vow renewal. We've talked about doing a party at some point, because there were a lot of people that we really loved, who, especially that were older, that we were like, we want you there, but we don't want you there because we want you to be safe. Mm-hmm. So You could have an end-of-pandemic wedding party. Love it. Maybe we'll do that. I'll plan it for you. Okay, thanks, Zoe. You're welcome. Perfect. At my, at my house. Just kidding. <gasps> Party. My tiny little apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Party at Zoe's. <laughs> um, yeah. So I remember that day I, like, walked out of this little house where we'd gotten ready. And I hadn't even thought about the weather all day. And I got out there. It was literally the most beautiful June day. We were, like, outside. We got married in front of this giant tree. The birds were, like, singing so beautifully. It was, like, perfect. And it was one of those moments where I just felt, like, the love of God and just this feeling of, like, it's all okay. I'm mm-hmm. here with you. Like, yeah, this is for you. Um, and it was just beautiful. Our wedding was beautiful. I cried. Joe cried. We danced. Joe we, cried. Oh, Joe <laughs> cried, cried. Oh. I have photo evidence. It was so cute, but it was, yeah, it was oh. beautiful. It was a beautiful day. And how have your first uh, three years of married life been? Three? Yeah. Yeah. Three. June oh, yeah. 6th was three, which is, uh, it doesn't feel that long. So good. Marriage is, for us, is a high, like, it's the highlight. I mean, I, I also am like, <laughs> cautious because I think marriage gets put in a pedestal especially within like Christian circles yes especially young young marriage yes yeah and I'm not about that and the irony is that God I feel like was like I know you're not about this but this is what I'm calling you to do (laughs) so here you go and I remember being like okay I would have been fine to wait until I was like 35 and he was like "Mm, but this is he's at 21 for you (laughs) so yeah that's yeah, that was a struggle. I had, I had to um, learn a little bit about what, how my plans, and this is so true for me in general. My plans, kind of meh. God's plans, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I yeah, marriage was marriage has been the highlight of the last three years for me. And there are so many moments that I'm like, I don't know what I would have done without this 
human to, yeah. especially with COVID, yeah. to do life alongside. And yeah, it's been really beautiful. Because during that time, you really only had people you lived with. Yep. Truly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So because you've been married for three years, do does your family ask you the children question all the time? Um, Only my youngest two. My youngest brother is 10, and my youngest sister is 11. Oh, okay. And they really are desperate to be aunts and uncles <laughs> while they're, like, little prior to high school. That's, oh, like, their... Okay. So... It's it's cute. And you're like, that's not a reason for me to have a child right now. Exactly. I'm <laughs> like, is are for... you going to come and be the full-time nanny? <laughs> no. Then, then no. no. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So actually, our, our parents are really awesome about it. They're, they're super respectful. Good. And Joe's parents, um, he was born when his dad was in his third, his third year of medical school, living in La Crosse. He was born at... St. Francis, actually. Oh, cute. I know. Very cute. I'm being... very full circle. Yeah. So part of me was like, oh my gosh, please don't get pregnant when Joe's in his third, in third year, year of medical school. school. Um, but yeah. So his mom has been like, listen, I was basically a single parent for those years. So like, I mean, his dad was amazing and did as much as he possibly could. But she is, she's like, but you can crazy. wait. Yeah. Like, you de- you should wait. Yeah. So actually, they've been really supportive of us not having kids, which is really great. That's really great. Yeah. And you don't hear that from the no. from, from the no. grandparents to be a no. lot of the time. <laughs> is that so? Aren't we lucky? Yeah. Yeah. You are. Do you guys have any fur babies? We don't, which is very sad. So you should work on Joe. Okay. Um. Here's the thing. Do you want to be a cat mom or a dog mom? We're probably more dog people. But I love cats. I do. I do. And every time <laughs> I see a picture of Hippo, I'm like, well, I could get behind a cat. I could. I could definitely. I could. Honestly, Hippo's kind of like a dog. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so drawn In to Hippo. His, his appetite, his activity, his he's a lap cat. I mean, right. he he's a cuddly little boy. The only thing is, he doesn't like to go like on walks. But that's I uh, see. That's probably a plus for Here's me. the thing: summer, spring, fall. Yeah, I would love a dog to walk. Yes, but the thought of having to bring a dog outside in oh. like negative thirty yeah. Wisconsin weather. Yeah, it doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, and major props to everybody that does it. Yep. The other issue is that we live on a college campus. Yeah. And our apartment does not have, like, a yard that works well for a pet. And Joe is very adamant that it would be cruel to have a dog in our our apartment, like an apartment our size. Yeah. So I I have to say that's a good argument. He's being a very ethical person. He is. So we appreciate that. He is. <laughs> I, yeah, should be the philosophy person, but... He's a philosopher in his own right, to yeah. be honest. He's yeah. a very philosophy mind. And you know, human. doctors have to be ethical. So. They, they do. So I, I mean, I hope so. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you one last question. Okay. It's the question I've ended every episode with. Okay, I love Which it. is, open whatever music player you have on your phone. And I want to know, what are some of the top things you've been listening to lately? Okay, I love it. What do you it's use? super... Spotify? Spotify. Okay. It's super eclectic, so my like my music taste is super eclectic, um, but recently, okay, so 
I'm a big fan of sleeping at last. Okay. And I really love their Enneagram. Yes. <laughs> what Enneagram are you? I'm a nine. Oh, of course you are. Uh-huh. So is Bridget. Yeah. Okay. Bridget and I have bonded over that. Yes. Can you guess what I am? Are you a two? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yep, yep, yep. I yeah, I see it. Yeah, it there's beauty in all of it, and there's hardship in all of it. So. That that is true. Yeah, yeah. But I love that. I mean, I love that playlist, and I think the last line in the nine song is to know ourselves and others well is the most meaningful and difficult work we'll ever do. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much my existence. Like, there's nothing like that's life for me yeah so I don't know I love that love that whole playlist but that line is yeah chef's kiss see I've listened to the two song yes a ton yes I listened to the four because my best friend's a four okay okay which yep. is hilarious yep <laughs> Ooh, it's even a four I know and Ben Ben is a three yeah <gasps> oh yeah which ooh. <laughs> Like, we could not be more different in terms of, like, our approach to things. Yep. Yep. He's just yeah, a very really competitive different. person. Yep. Yep. In all aspects. Like, he, I mean, yeah. What yeah. is it? The performer, the achiever, the, and, and Ben is just, like, a, yeah. like, he wants to conquer this thing. He wants to, like, perfect it. <laughs> and I'm, like... <laughs> Is Joe a three? No, Joe's an eight, but oh. that's the opposite of a nine. <laughs> the peacemaker and the challenger. Oh, yes! Yes! <laughs> so I so relate. Yes. I totally get it. Because, like, I, yes. this is, like, our classic joke. So Ben's family is huge into board games. Okay. And yeah. I have never liked board games because yeah. they're competitive. And, like, yep. I love my brother. Love you, Elliot. But, like... <laughs> I have memories of, you know, like the sorry pieces like being chucked at me. If I like if I like happened <laughs> yes. to roll the dice that made me win, like I always wanted to be like it's luck, like it's not yeah. my fault. Yes. Um so I just grew up like really not liking board games. It was like unnecessary like competition. Why would I put myself in that position? Yeah. Then COVID happened and like both the Gibson family and the DeVore family in our separate you know, quarantines, just started playing a lot of games. And, but I'm always the one where, you know, we're playing a game and someone's like, oh no, don't block me. And I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll go over here instead. And they're always like, Zoe, no, the point is to block us, put the piece where it goes. (laughs) Zoe, last night, my little brother, my 14 year old brother is visiting us. He, and we played risk because him and Joe love risk. And I was so upset because I, I won. And that's like the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario for me is that I win a board game because I hate it. I get no joy out of it. I'm not competitive in the slightest. Mm-hmm. And they were both like super sad that they lost. And it wasn't because of my own strategy or skill. It was like I really wanted all of us to just have our own like continents. Mm-hmm. And so... I ended up trying to like make that happen and that didn't it just ended up making them attack each other. And so it was just a disaster. It was like you accidentally won. Right. But it was a 
it's I totally get it yeah Yeah. no it's not it's not fun no my favorite games are like solitaire because I play against myself yep um I like games like categories yes where it's just like yes you know you you can't really win I mean someone does win but it's like right you're playing against yourself yes basically all right any other songs besides the sleeping at last album the other thing is that Joe and I share our Spotify like the same Oh, okay. Spotify. And so there's like a bunch of like Star Trek soundtracks. <laughs> and then okay. like punk rock. And like, you're like, that's disclaimer, we... not mine. Yes. Um, I'm not. Star Trek. I, I do watch Star Trek. But you don't listen but to I the But I don't soundtrack. listen to the soundtrack. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of the Beatles. The Beatles and Billy Joel are like my summer. Okay. Like I come back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason. Yeah. The, summer bops yeah i don't i i like a classic well it's like you're riding in the car the windows are open yeah, yeah. tell me some like uptown girl yes. or like here comes the sun yes I just yellow submarine good. yes no i mean <laughs> maybe not all you need is love love yeah philo yes all right with that Hannah, you are a good human. You are too, Zoe. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. And uh, for my listeners, if you would like to subscribe to the show on whatever listening platform you use, follow me on social media at HelloGoodHumansXO and stay tuned for many, many more stories from good humans. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>